0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the ninth edition of the Big Footy Bombers podcast for season 2021. I'm your host, bonser 34 I am replacing JMu, who stepped into the host's chair last week. He has actually been demoted to AFL Daily alongside Damo and Nat Edwards because of his poor performance as host last week. We have repeat performers with us this evening. I'll introduce Kip Tastic first. How are you this evening?
1: Good. Thanks, Bonser. Thanks for having me on. Um, not as... Um... Not as happy an occasion as last time I was on with the Hawthorne win, but hopefully we can get to some good discussion about what went well and what went wrong and where we can look to move forward from here, moving on to Adelaide.
0: Yeah, so we'll talk about the game in a second. and We'll just swing across to our other guest this evening, which is EDPS. Now, EDPS was going to come back on for a draft a summary after the Davey Twins games. That hasn't happened yet, but he will be on for that later. This is just a special edition for EDPS to jump in for us. How are you
2: this evening, mate? Yeah, yeah, not bad. Yeah, so the um, because of the whole COVID situation, there was supposed to be a uh... A little comp up in the Gold Coast this week, so that hasn't gone ahead. So I don't know when that's going to get postponed till it could be any time this year. What I've heard is it might be around grand final time, so it might still be quite a fair ways away. But uh, look look forward to those games and look forward to being on uh, tonight.
0: Yeah, well, we won't be able to do a, a podcast with you around grand final time on the draft because we'll obviously be doing the pre game per hour, our, our grand final uh, run as we have won for the last, I don't know, what have we got, seven games left and first three weeks of finals and rolled into the grand final but I will just move away from delusion and I'll start with you Kip and, and we'll just talk about uh, what happened on Friday night now I was relatively happy with obviously the first quarter we started well then it all sort of you know fell away a fair bit I actually was pretty happy with the third quarter as well because I thought we managed to fight our way scrap our way back in but just it's just that second and fourth quarter I think Geelong really showed their class and showed the difference between us a developing side and, and them obviously a more established side with finals credentials already
1: yeah, I agree. I think if you asked anyone before the game um, what the result would be, I think a lot of people would have said this sort of this sort of loss. I mean, I think we all hope that we'll do well and you, you pull off the wins like you, we did against West Coast. But um, if you look at our results against Port Adelaide and Brisbane um, and where Geelong is on the ladder, it's a pretty um, even result there. Obviously, when you have such a good start, your expectations rise, and you know you start and think, "Oh, can we pull this off? Can we hold them off?" And then you know halfway through the second quarter, I think we all sort of saw the signs that. Um, it was getting away from us. Um, obviously, Cameron um, kicked those three goals. And then once he went off, um, Hawkins sort of took over. And he's, the, he's probably the first um, key forward to really get hold of us this year, which is for a developing back line is, is a pretty good effort for, um, to take this long for a key forward to get a hold of us. But um, it was just too much left to too few. obviously. We'll obviously talk about Darcy and Zach and a couple of others. Um, but when you look at um, the, the spread of Geelong possession winners and goal kickers... You know, we were just um, outclassed by a much better team and um, our bottom end couldn't hold us up.
0: Yeah, so EDPS, I will just ask, where do you think the game changed in the second quarter? Now, I know a lot of people on our board said it was umpiring. Put the umpiring to aside for a moment because I think sometimes our posters get a little bit too fixated on it. What was the turning point for you in in that second quarter where where you just started to really think that Geelong were going to
2: overrun us as as they did? I think it's more the mentality that we came out in the second quarter thinking, ah, we'll we'll just play the same as we did before. Geelong aren't playing so well. Uh, It'll just work. But I think they had to realise that Geelong were not going to come out the same way they did the first quarter as they would in the second. I mean, they're a good side. They've been a good side for a long time. You've just got to expect that little bit of a fight back from Geelong. And they just didn't didn't handle it at all. Uh the the pressure from the first quarter and that uh taking the game on just wasn't there. And as soon as uh Geelong started to really come at us, we decided we wanted to go into our shells a bit and which we have done quite a few times this year. I mean it happened in the later parts of that Richmond game. I think that was the last time I was on here as well. We were talking about the similar thing.
1: I agree with that. I think you look at how we played in that first quarter, and there was a real—you saw it in the Melbourne game as well. We really were trying to lower our eyes, look into that forward fifty, and really pick out targets. I know there's um, a couple of times when we obviously didn't moving fast plays and missed kicks, but there was a real effort to really think our way through it. And then once Geelong started to get um, that run on, there was a bit of panic. They went back to the long hitting and kicking, and um, you know Tom Stewart just sort of ate, ate all that up and took control. So um, I think. There's a lot of you can see the difference between an experienced team that's played together for a long time and a team that's learning what they need to do, and just that ability to be to think calmly through it. Geelong didn't panic when they were four goals down; they knew what they could do, Um, and when they got that run on, we just couldn't couldn't answer and couldn't handle it, and reverted back to you know the long bombing um, kicks.
0: We've talked a little bit about what went wrong, but I'll start with something that went right, and that was Darcy Parrish, who was again huge on Friday night. Now, I'll just rattle off some of his numbers for those that that don't know, but I think we all mainly do by now. He had 43 touches. He kicked a goal. He laid three tackles. uh, He had 900-plus metres gained. He had 13 clearances, 15 inside 50s. But one thing that I really liked was his 10 intercept possessions. So for a midfield to intercept the ball so much, to me, is just an amazing effort defensively. Um, And I think he's starting to get a few more kudos on the the site, not just on our board, but, you know, site-wide, especially there's a main board thread at the moment saying top five midfielders in the game at the moment. And he's getting a lot of recognition, not just from Essendon posters, but also other fans, other other clubs. So, geez, he's he's
1: in an incredible vein of form right now. It's it's unbelievable. Every every week he's sort of topping himself, um, and he's doing new things. As you said, with the intercept possessions, you know, 13 clearances is insane. On half time, he was on track for 50 disposals, and you know, over a kilometre um, meters game, he obviously dropped off a little bit in the second half. But you know, when you put in this sort of numbers, like it's no wonder he's in Brownlow contention. I mean, there are questions about he, about his kicking into the forward 50. I think that's that's not just a, hit, uh, a Darcy Parish issue. That's obviously a, a team issue. And that's also a lot of that comes down to how the forwards are moving for him. But is is there a person in better form in the competition? Maybe Bontempelli. But, I mean, I think he's out of contract. I think there'd be 17 other clubs really seeing if there's any possibility of getting him out. But um, I think we'll do everything we can to make sure he stays. And I think everything um, that he said suggests that he's going to stay. So... Hopefully, he doesn't have to carry this much of a load um, in future. I notice, um, just looking at the stats, that compared to, say, Dangerfield, he's spent 10% um, more time on ground than Dangerfield, and I think it was pointed out by someone on Twitter how much longer um, our midfielders had to um, play on the ground compared to the Geelong midfielders. And while that, in future, that may not mean he's not getting these excessive numbers, um, when we get some more of those depth midfielders back, like a Shield, a Caldwell, and a McGrath, it means he doesn't have to play so long on, on ground, and he can be more effective because he's not as tired.
0: Yeah, I mean, EDPS, he really is forming an, an incredible one-two punch with Zach Merritt at the moment. And Zach really probably is getting a little bit lost at the moment behind the massive numbers Darcy's putting up.
2: Yeah, well, I don't think uh, Zach or anyone at the club would have expected Darcy to come out how he has when Shield went down. I mean, that's what we needed. It's what we'd really hoped for was a player to really take it by the scuff of the neck and take that chance. And Parrish was the one to do it. And it, now it's more exciting to, to think how well he's going to go with even more support around him. So he's not having to do all the heavy lifting. Although, you know, those 43 touches, those 28 contested possessions are all well and good, but we still want a, a better balance of our midfield. So we don't always have to rely on one really good midfielder to um, to take us there. Like all the best midfielders, like even the other day, Bonham uh he didn't have an off game, but McRae had a good game. So, I mean, that that's what they do. Yeah,
0: I think your point about, our midfielders need to spread the load a bit more is is a valid one. Uh, if you sort of look at the next best after, I mean, you know, Darcy had 43, Zach had 36, you know, Heppel had 25, but he's very much a half-back flanker now. Stringer had 25, but he sort of plays that midfield half-forward hybrid role. He doesn't really play midfield dominant all the time. Uh, Snellian had 24, but again, you know, he's probably another midfield half-forward hybrid hind had 21 after that it falls away pretty quickly you know Ridley had 17 but he's half back Langford only had 17 so he had another quiet one um, which was surprising and then it falls away to someone like Tom Cutler who absolutely got hammered on our board I, I thought and potentially unfairly because being his first game back he's always going to struggle I think to get to the pace
2: of uh, pace of the game yeah, and yeah. I didn't even think uh, Tommy Cutler played that bad I think he had the job on um, on grind Mines a few times and I think he actually did a pretty good job I always thought with Cutlows that the back line was the, his best position, even though he can play in a wing. I mean, his rebound off half-back was what was actually... Initially, he was drafted for back when he was drafted. That was a, a role he played for quite a few years at Oakley. So, um, it, that, that's what we want Cutler there, too. Like He's always been picked up for that depth. So, having just important depth all over the ground is what's going to you know, set, send us into a finals contention in the coming years.
1: Agree. I mean... It's a, it's a really good point. Um, I just want to talk a bit about um, Jake Stringer and just the the form he's in. Just looking at his stats, um, he's having a career best year for disposals, career best year for tackles. Um, he's got he's averaging four tackles a game, um, which is far and away his best across his career, and having a career best year for clearances. He's really turning into that midfielder that I think. The club thought they may have been able to turn him into when they when they picked him up, but um, there may have been some doubts of whether he had the commitment. But he's really shown, particularly in these last three weeks, that he does have that ability to be a midfielder, not just the forward who, who does centre bounces. I think the numbers he's, he's putting out and um, the effort he's putting in, which is highlighted by, by his tackle numbers, really shows that he can be that point of difference that we need. And obviously going forward and kick three goals, I mean, a lot of people talk about how Darcy and Zach aren't goal-kicking midfielders. Well, Jake can be that goal-kicking midfielder that we need. And then when you add those other people around him, then you start to get that depth and that spread of load, which is what you need to be one of those top four or five sides.
0: Yeah, and I think we talk about spread and load. I think we... There, there is the point that has to be made that we are, of course, still missing Caldwell, McGrath, and Shield in that, in that midfield. So if those guys were there, obviously the load would be spread uh, a lot thinner than it is right now, which is, which is something that we want. Um, and, and you're right about about Jakey. He is in some unbelievable form right now, and I know he went fishing um, off the coast last week with Dev. So if that's the sort of form 25 and three that he's going to get from going fishing, I think instead of training, we should, uh, we should just send him down to the coast each week. But Kip, I do just want to swing back to a point you sort of half raised before about our forwards maybe not leading as much. Now, I was very disappointed with our forwards on, on Friday night. I did get accused of being a little bit harsh on uh, Harry Jones previously, but I'll, I'll just say it again. He just looks he looks tired. He looks like the season's starting to wear him down. Now, he's young, so we expect that. But the problem is you then got Cale Hooker, who's old and the season's wearing him down which again you'd expect and then peter wright who's been good but he he, he struggled on friday night i mean he got three forwards that struggle it makes it very hard for the midfield to hit anyone up. Now, the midfield disposal inside 50 might not have been great, but I think a large part of it also did come down to the fact that our forwards weren't leading. They seemed to be you know, grouped together, the, the three talls at all times, which is why someone like Tom Stewart found it so easy just to come across and take the mark and, or punch it out of play because they just didn't seem to be getting on their bikes and getting that separation from one another.
1: Yeah, I think you saw, you saw it a lot in that second quarter when we'd get a forward movement and they'd all be together and there'd be a big group, there'd be a big pack and either um, Geelong player would take a contested intercept mark or we'd somehow give away a, a blocking free kick and the ball, we'd lose the momentum, the ball would go up the other end and, and a goal would be kicked. I think it, a lot of it comes down to working together and, and being able to sacrifice yourself for the team. I think I remember back... I think it was the 2014 elimination final where the North supporters were really proud of how Drew Petrie played a, um, you know, he sacrificed his game to bring others into the, in, into the game and, and allow them to get back and win that game. But I think, you know, at, at times we need players to play that unselfish role, you know, whether that's a Peter Ryder or a Harry Jones, leading away from the space, knowing that they're not realistically going to be an option for, for the kick coming in, but it's just creating more space for a hooker or a right to, to do their work which also then creates more space for the small. So, you know, it's not, Tipper's not having to run through seven people to kick a miraculous goal. You know, it's, it's Hooker and his opponent having a one-on-one contest and Tipper, can, Tipper or a Snelling can read the flight and crumb the goal through that way. So I think it, a lot of it comes down to that, that work and how they work together with, you know, the, as you sort of say, the, lot of the, a lot of the talk's been about how the midfield connects with the forwards, but the forwards have to be working a lot harder I mean, when you watch watch a lot of our kicks in, a lot of it's still people, you know, raising their hands asking for it to be put on their heads. Um, there's not a lot of movement. I mean, that also does come down to the fact that teams are able to f- sort of flood back and, and fill the space. You know, if you've got seven or eight opponents in front of you, there's not really many places you can lead and that, that dump kick becomes the only option. But there still needs to be a bit more creativity from those tools. Yeah, I think
2: the, uh, the cattle as well is a bit of an issue. Like, we don't really have the right players for the right mix like a lot of other forward lines have so I feel that someone like a uh, Gary Rowan who's uh, offers a marking target but also offers that uh, pressure as well so a player around that 190 ninety centimetre mark who can do well one on one in a marking contest but also offer that speed along the ground I mean the likes of Waterman is one who, who you like there he's been doing okay but he doesn't really offer that speed and that and that pressure, but he also hasn't got that size. Although he's quite solidly built, he doesn't have that height to really go there. So I think that's something that we'll need to look at a bit at the trade period or in the draft to look for, for players that fit the proper dynamic. And again, with having all those tall key forwards going up for marks, the amount of times that there'd be no smalls even near them. But a lot of the players like Waterman and like Snelling, they're not natural forward crummers like a, like a Tip and Woody is. There needs to be more... Uh, forward players who have that bit of forward nouse in them. I mean, Mosquito would have been a, a lovely player to have if he didn't have the injury concern with the ACL. But I think the dynamic is something we really need to look towards that will try and help that whole forward line gel a lot better.
0: So what I'm hearing from you here is that if we need a, a speedy marking target, the Davy twins aren't what we need. We actually need to bring Elwin Davy back and plonk him back at centre-half forward.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um... Yeah, but another thing as well in terms of looking for some maybe some more small forwards, we also don't want to put all our eggs into one basket with the Davy Twins. I mean, I know a lot's been spoken about them, including myself, who's spoken a lot about them and how much I rate them coming in. You don't want to have the whole supporter base as well putting all of their expectations onto those, uh, onto those Davy Twins. We need to look at a lot more star depth in, in that area especially as well. Yeah, look, I think it's
0: potential that that some people are possibly getting a little bit carried away with the Davy Twins, but but hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll see them don the red red and black sooner rather than later. Now, Kip, one other thing I just want to mention is is I think Rutton made a pretty big mistake on Friday night by not taking Zerk Thatcher into the game. Now, I I appreciate that a lot of people may not think that Zerk Thatcher is our future, or is it the answer of our future. I tend to slightly disagree. I think there's definitely a place for him in our side moving forward. But without Francis down there, we did leave Stuart very exposed, I thought, because we we seem to play you know Laverde down there as well, but he's that little bit shorter, so I think we left our, our backs a little bit exposed by going in without Zerk Thatcher in, we, you know in Francis's absence, obviously, and hopefully he'll be back this week.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed, I think I saw that he's a training um, this week, Francis. Um, hopefully um, I imagine that he might come back through the VFL. Um, but hopefully he's back in the side um, as soon as possible. He just needs to keep getting those games into him. But I was really shocked, I'm not, not maybe not shocked is the right word, but really surprised that Zirk Thatcher was left out knowing that you were going up against Cameron and um, Hawkins. I know that Cameron, there were suggestions before the game that he may have been a late out. How much of that do you know as the opposition? And just not having those options, I mean like it really meant that you had to have Stewart on on Cameron or. On the, and he obviously rolled onto Hawkins um, for part of the game, but it just yeah it just meant you did, you, you lacked that option. I mean, Laverde's probably the other option, and he, I think he did. Or I think Laverde probably played an okay game, and I wouldn't be writing Stewart off because he has had a couple of good weeks prior prior to this one. You know, there's a lot of um, defenders that have been made to look silly by Tom Hawkins over the years, who are still quite good defenders. So I wouldn't be writing him off um, after that, but. Yeah, just that, that lack of options that Zerk may have provided, I think I think has been quite good defensively. I know that he's made a few mistakes offensively in the games that he's played, but defensively he's been quite solid and could have provided another option. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we're probably all waiting for Zachary to get um, some VFL, a bit more VFL game time and hopefully get him, him in to see what he can do, but again, he's not going to be taking those you no know, brute, for, um, brute forwards at this stage of his development, so you, you are sort of trying to back Stewart in to be that option, and as up until this week, I think he's done quite a good job at that. So I think we can give him a bit of grace this week and see how he backs up next week, especially as it looks like Tex Walker's not going to be playing for Adelaide.
0: It is a good point. And I do wonder, um, EDPS, how much the potential of Cameron being a late out probably influenced the decision to to not play Zerk because clearly Cameron should never have played that game. And I wonder if our coaching staff just thought, always thought he
2: was going to be the, the late out that Geelong just for some reason left in. It's an interesting one there. Like We've worked really well having a lot of those taller defenders who can also play kind of small. I mean, uh, Stewart has shown an ability too, especially Ridley. You don't want Ridley taking those bigger marking types just so that they can um, get him with his intercept game going, although he played a pretty good game on the weekend. And that's another thing we've got to you know, try and finalise. I mean, a lot of the best backlines these days have a very, very set back line. I mean, you don't see many changes to Geelong's back six. I mean, they're a very... Very well established, and they're getting a lot of uh, a lot of gains behind them as well. I mean, the, again, we we look at Ridley, who's not even played fifty games yet. Laverde's in his first year of playing as a defender. Same with James Stewart. I mean, we can't expect our backline to be as solid as some of these top top clubs who've had these backlines for a long time. So it's just a bit of um, waiting for for our supporters. just got to just let it play out. Let Rutton sink his teeth into that. To, into the team, into that
1: back six, and we, we should be fine going forward. Just going back to Cameron, just something I thought during the game. Given that he clearly came into into the game with the injury, I just I just think you, you shouldn't be allowed to use this. I know it's it's probably hard to police, but you shouldn't be allowed to use a sub in that that occasion. Like I I imagine that if there was no sub, he wouldn't have played. I think they sort of wanted to try and have their cake. Need it too. If a player comes in with a distinct injury, they shouldn't be allowed to be subbed out. That should be a risk that you take. But I'm not sure how you would police that.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think that's probably going to be too hard to police because it does come down to the word of the club doctor, and I, I suppose it comes down to the you know with the concussion as well. And at the end of the day, I'm not too sure how much a club I, I, I see your point, but I, I just don't know if a club would, would risk someone in the, in that situation. I, I think Geelong just thought he was going to be fine. And I, th- I think they just thought it was, you know, a little knock that he could just, just run out. Um, but obviously he can't and, and they will suffer in the coming weeks because of that. But I do just want to, move to the Adelaide game now, it, it it's going to be a fascinating one for mine because, as you, as you said, I think it was you, Kip, said, Tex Walker probably isn't going to play, which, which does mean that, you know, Riley Philthorpe will be their main target, I believe, up for because Tom Lynch still isn't playing. Um, I have him in my super coach team, so I've been aware that he's not actually playing. Their forward line's going to be very, very light on. So I'm not too sure if we will bring zerk thatcher or francis in but if we were going to bring someone in and you did mention him before is i'd actually bring reading purely because phil thorpe is still young and developing as well so if you ever wanted a game to, to give your youngster a crack at someone why not this week when when you, your key target of the other that you're going to be against is also in his first year of football
1: it we go good for him also to get an AFL game that wasn't played in the swimming pool, like his um, Gabba debut. So, and just to get a bit more of an idea about what he's capable of now. I think also to further the point with Tex being out, it can actually lead to a forward line becoming more unpredictable, but I think it's going to be quite a close game. Yeah, further
2: to bringing Reed in as a possible in, just to give him a bit more exposure. I mean, considering we wanted to get his debut against Brisbane just shows how much Rutten wants to expose Zach Reed to AFL footy despite his size. So... That would probably be something that they look at, maybe giving someone a rest, maybe like a James Stewart or maybe even Laverde just to, because the amount of issues he's had with his body in recent years, it might be good to give him a week off. But in terms of more players that we could expect to see, I mean, uh, Nick Cox looked a bit tired uh, on the weekend and Sam Durham has been really good the last few weeks on that in that wing position. I mean, he's exactly the type of player I think Rutten would love. I mean, from what I've seen of him in the VFL, he's tackling pressure and he's Second efforts and his skills by foot have been really eye-catching. I mean, he's not getting a lot of the ball, but he's uh, definitely showing some great traits that would translate to AFL footy. And Ned Carl uh, had a really good game as well, considering the, the wet conditions. He actually looked like he was really cracking in hard, wanting to earn back his spot. He might be another one that gets looked at. So there's definitely a bit of room for for some changes this week. If Francis is right to go, I think he does come straight in. It's just a matter of who comes in for him. But it'd be interesting to see how we how we go into that game, considering, of course, that Walker's not going to be there and how tall we want to go into it. So, EAPS,
0: e, e, yes, uh, uh, it has been mentioned that the Francis is a bit of a swing man. I think Ant said earlier that he wouldn't mind sending him up forward again. If Francis plays and, say, Reed plays as well, would you give a rest to a Laverde and then even a Harry Jones or a Kale Hooker? Just, just put a Francis and a Reid, you know, both ends. And I mean, can Reed go forward and, and kick a goal? I'm honestly not sure how how he how he looks
2: up front. Yeah, he hasn't played a lot of time up forward. I got to see a training session earlier in the year where he got to play a little bit of forward, and he actually looked really good with that. But I'm not sure how how he would go up forward with the way we're going at the moment. I mean, he hasn't trained there at all this year, so it'd be pretty difficult to do. If there was anyone that I could see. Going forward, it would probably be James Stewart, who I'm still not convinced as a key defender option at this stage. But from what I saw of him as a four, I still think he offers quite a bit there. And if Hooker is to go out, he is a bigger, stronger marking target. So it'd be interesting to see how, how we could go there. But it, it just goes to show how versatility has really come into play with the type of players we've got. You look at how easily Laverde has kind of slipped into that backline role I can't see why someone like Stewart or anyone else could play a forward role if need be.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's another option, obviously, There, Stuart, going forward. I, I just think some of our youngsters probably do need a rest now. At the same time, I'm a little bit cautious of, of resting too many blokes in one game. You obviously don't want to sell yourself short just for the sake of giving blokes a rest, but I, I definitely think we could see a Cox or a Perkins or Jones, or you're probably two, two of those three out this week. And I am actually very excited to see Durham play. I think he will go very well at AFL level. I think his game translates well to the AFL level, and, and i think um kip one of the interesting things i think about adelaide this year is is in the past you've really looked at rory sloan as the player to stop for adelaide obviously they had danger for years and but he hasn't been there for a while now but but sloan's been relatively quiet this year and obviously rory laird's up and about ben keys is another one who's been very good for them this year paul seedsman's probably gone to a level that i didn't think he'd get to Um, as a midfielder i think he's averaged 25 touches and i think keys is having a, a uh, 28 or 29 touches in, in Crouch's absence. Obviously, he's got to fill that hole. So I, I'm actually very interested to see how our midfield goes against theirs because I think their midfield is fairly underrated outside of South Australia.
1: I agree. I mean, if you, I haven't watched too many Adelaide games, but if you, if you follow the stats, um, they've probably got a better spread of midfielders than we do at the moment. I think that our top end of... Darcy and and Zach are clearly better, but they've got the situation where they can spread the load. So if they're able to negate um, the impact of of Darcy and Zach, they're right in this game just with that ability to have different options to um, run through the midfield. And, you know, if if we can't go with that, then it may be a situation where our, our players are getting tired towards the end of the game because they're having to play those extra minutes and Adelaide can come home quite strong because of those options they've got.
2: Yeah, um, in terms of um, Ben Keys, he's one that will usually go head-to-head with one of their best midfielders and try to beat them. So, kind of as a stopper, but not quite a stopper. So, I'd be shocked if you don't see Ben Keys lining up on Parish at most stoppages and really trying to curb his influence or try and beat him to the ball as well. Which I'll be really interested in seeing EDBS purely because, I mean, Darcy probably
0: hasn't been... Tagged as such yet, so and, and and obviously you just said you didn't say obviously Keys isn't a tagger, a pure tagger. But it will be interesting to see how Darcy goes if Keys goes to him and does try and take him on head to head. It'll be interesting to see how he handles that sort of going
2: the other way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just with parish I, I think what Geelong tried to do earlier in the game was try and just run in front of him. So because he's so good at reading the taps, it's really hard to actually stop him as a ta- as a tagger, but. If all you can do is just run in front of him, just look at him from a distance and then try and dart in front of him, it's another way of trying to curb his like, clearance influence. But it didn't take long for, for Darcy to, to get a work around that and ended up dominating anyway. But that, that could also be another uh, a thing they try, a lot of clubs try to do and just beat Parrish to the ball. Just watch where he's going and then just try and dart in front.
1: There were some really good examples of when they ran Dangerfield against Darcy at the centre bounces, and Darcy, you know, Dangerfield Danger was working really hard to to do what you said and get get in front of him, and Darcy was just able to burn past him, read the tap, and drive the ball forward. Obviously, we've spoken about how. Maybe how he's driving the ball forward and his execution of that may not be as high as some of his other skills at the moment. But it was clear that Geelong were trying to curb his influence by running players of the quality of Dangerfield against him, and he was able to burn them off. So I don't think that's necessarily the way to stop him at the moment.
0: No, it's not. But I suppose he probably, I mean, they did. They did take that approach with him. I guess, so, though, Keyes, has, as the EDPs sort of alluded to, has been very good at it this year. He's he's almost in that sort of elite category now, where, with a, as a, as a stopper that can hurt you the other way. So, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be a fascinating duel to watch. And and I mean, he may go to Merrick, but I think we've seen before that Merrick break a tackle fairly easily, break a tag, <laughs> bit of both. Now, lads, I'm not too sure how aware you are. So we won't touch on this for very long because we don't want to make fools of ourselves or all the wonderful work that the ladies are doing. But our VFLW side actually played their first final on the weekend against the Casey Demons at Casey Fields and managed to actually get the chocolates. So they will be playing, I believe, Collingwood in a semi-final this week. And if they win that, they move on to the grand final. Whereas if they lose that, they actually end up in a preliminary final against either Geelong or or the Southern Saints. I don't think our VFLW side prior to this season had traveled All that well, Uh, and I say that with trepidation because, as I said, I haven't paid a great deal of attention. But it is great to see our VFLW side actually in the finals and and winning finals. And it'll be great, I think, personally, to see um, our AFLW side run around whenever that is. We're meant to be getting in, maybe getting pushed back as a result of COVID.
1: I think they've actually said that they're they're wanting to get the last four teams in over the next two years, and I think we're really pushing hard to be in the 2022. Competition, so hopefully that hopefully that comes through. I think at least personally for me, it's going to make AFLW a lot more interesting. I'm you know I'm much more of an Essendon fan than a, than an AFL fan, and I think the same applies to AFLW. I've watched a few games, and the standard's definitely getting better. But I think without that that tribal connection to it to a team, um, it sort of lacks that must-watch ability for me. But if the VFLW side's going this well, hopefully that's a good sign for when we do enter the competition. And congratulations to everyone involved in that. Put all the work in and obviously, with all the delays, and especially with with something like a VFLW program, which is certainly not full-time, to get the results that they're getting uh, is really excellent for the club. And I think you see it with the players on their Instagram, how supportive they are of the VFLW side and how happy they are for their success. So long may it continue. I think that what what you touched on at the end there, like the results are,
2: are something that's going to be really promising for for them going into the the proper AFLW scene. Another thing that's helped them as well is Presparkus, who's a pretty well-known uh, young player up and coming for, based out of uh, Colder Cannon. So they've got a bit of a good talent there. They've just finally been able to use it. Georgia Nance Cowan was one who was one of their best players and uh, looks to be another one to really look out for. Uh, in the next game as well. So for anyone who wants to go down and watch that VFLW, I mean, Nance Cowan and Chris Park are two names to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think the club may be
0: streaming some of these games live. So I have no doubt we'll probably be streaming the final live. So by all means, if you are interested, jump on the on the board. Law's generally pretty good at linking us to the, to the game. So it, it can be good to watch live. And, and I would just... Say as as Kip sort of touched on earlier, the quality has improved out of sight. I, I've watched quite a bit of AFLW over the time from season one, and the quality, you know, even even at VFLW, which is the level below the AFLW, the quality is just unreal now. It's night and day compared to what it was. So I urge everybody to, to really try and, and, and find time to watch, watch the ladies this week and, and certainly support them because they are obviously representing the, the Eston Football Club and it's a side we can we can get around because, let's be honest, we're not too sure how the VFL men or the um, AFL side is going to go for finals this year. So a little bit of final success is nice no matter where it comes from. But but that will do us this evening, gentlemen. So I'd just like to thank you both for, for coming on again this evening.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks a lot. It was great to be on again again and can't wait to come on a bit later in the year as well
1: always good to talk and thanks thanks for organizing this and, and getting this out each week i think even when i'm not on it i think it's still worth a listen so um great work
0: even when i'm not on it i do like your little semi self plug there mate always makes me smile um now as always the shout out goes if you do want to be on board the podcast and come on and have a chat with us you're more than welcome to just shout out and let us know but once again thank you very much for listening to everybody and have a lovely night. <laughs>